What is up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Hat Trick Hero Show. I'm your host, Myron, and without further ado, roll the intro. In the first segment, we're going to be talking a little bit more about G's life in general, his childhood in Panama and whatnot, how he grew up playing football, and his influence and whatnot. So yeah, stay tuned. So welcome back uh, to this episode of the Hat Trick Hero Show. Today I have a special guest with me. Um, basically, how I met this guy was through last season in particular, in the my in the eighteen nineteen season when I was playing for Maccabi Hong Kong. He was my teammate. He works for a big uh, logistics company. He has w- previously worked in Taipei, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and he's from Panama. So, well, welcome everyone uh, to. My ex teammate from Maccabi, and I would say my big brother, G. Hello, everyone. So, uh, yeah, so let's get started, shall we? All right, let's do this. All right, so basically, obviously, in preparation for this podcast, I did some research got to get to know you better, even though I, I knew you quite well in person, I would say, but there were some interesting things that I did after doing some research on you. So... All right, so basically you were born in Panama in 1992, correct? 1991. 1991, okay. So, all right, so tell me what was it like growing up there? Well, I think my childhood was was pretty good. I mean, now that I have this experience, you know, of living in Taiwan, living in Hong Kong, uh, I can I can totally see that I had like a, like a good childhood, you know, because... In Panama, we have like we have the facility of just going like to green areas or playing around. Going especially in Panama, you can go to the beach, you can go to the mountain, and all that. And it's actually, I I would say, it's not something that you can do easily in Hong Kong, especially in Hong Kong. In Taiwan, it's a bit easier, but in, especially in Hong Kong, you can't really have the same childhood as if you had the opportunities that I had back home. So basically. My childhood was basically just, as everyone else, just going to school. After school, just getting my homework done so I could go out and play and play football on the street. Because I basically grew up in a residential and basically grew up, you know, playing football with my with my teammates. Sorry, with my with my friends in the in the street. We actually literally had no goals. Like our goals used to be like whatever you could put to mark like a goal, you know. Like two, like a pair of shoes or rocks or whatever you could find. Uh, so it was, it was quite, quite nice. I would say quite fun growing up in, in Panama. So basically, you're saying that the sort of uh, environment in Panama really were quite unique to the place because you can't really get that sort of same vibe compared to like Hong Kong or tai- Taiwan and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because here in Hong Kong, you, it's not like you can just okay, you live in an apartment, you cannot. You can just go downstairs and play on the street, right? Like so, in my country, like you can actually do that, depending on on where you live. But most places, you can actually do that. Like you don't really, you don't really need a uh, proper facility, you know, like three D turf and all that, all that sort of stuff. In my, in my age, like how do you say that? And you know, you're my me growing up. That's how you, that's how you play football basically on the street. So speaking of playing football on the street, when so what age do you start playing and how did that sort of I guess that sort of environment teach you how did how did it form in your sort of style of play perhaps? So basically, I would say that my football style, my style of playing is hundred percent from the street, because like like I told you before, I grew up playing on the street. And basically, that was most of the time playing three or four aside. So a lot of people tell me that the way I play football is like basically futsal because that's what I grew up playing. Like until I came to Taiwan, basically, I was always in Panama. I never actually joined a proper eleven aside team, like a proper team, like where I went to trainings and I learned to play a specific position and all that. I, I I don't have that experience. I was playing in the streets and futsal. That was it. And when I got to Taiwan, I actually spent like probably 
two, three years that I didn't join any any team because I didn't know there was a foreign league. I never actually Googled it or anything. I was basically just playing in the university team. That was it. And uh, once I, I... My friend told me that they joined this expat team in, in Taiwan and everything, that they were going to talk to the coach and see if I could join. So I was like, all right. So I went, and that was Celts. That was Royal Celts. That was the first the first team I joined in Taiwan. Uh, it was mostly for fun. Not really, I wouldn't say it was competitive by that time. At least I didn't see it like that. I just played because I wanted to get some minutes and, you know, keep the fitness and everything. Um, I was in that team for two two seasons, I think. And then eventually, obviously, by playing in this team, I got to know other foreigners, and that's basically how I, I started meeting more people from different teams. Um, I started hanging out more with another with other people from other teams called Carnegie's B52. And before I joined B52, actually, I did the tryouts for the for the a team that they wanted to bring into into Taiwanese first division. Uh, the team was called Royal Blues. The Royal Blues used to play in, you can consider it second division in Taiwan. And they were playing the BML, it's the Businessmen League. It's, you can say it's like the second division of Taiwan. They won, the Royal Blues won the BML, and then they started, they were the coach, which was the coach for Royal Kells as well, he wanted to bring the team to first division. So he started doing tryouts to see, to get more talent, new talent. I went to the tryout, uh, and when they, when they released the list of the players selected, uh, I, I saw that my name was in the defenders list. And I was like, interesting, because I, I never in my life I played defense. Like, I was always winger or forward. And so that was a big shock for me. I didn't say anything because I made the team. So I was like, okay. And then we started training properly and all that. And obviously, I was not a defender. So I did it. I had no clue how to defend. You know, like proper defending, like keeping the line, pushing forward. I didn't know any of those concepts because I never actually joined a proper team. So I relied a lot in my in my teammates, which were or had that, defend, that defender experience. So... That's how I learned the position. And I was also, you know, YouTubing and Googling and kind of like informing myself on key things that I had to pay attention to, plus what my, my teammates were sharing with me. And, and that's how I learned. And, you know, like you just putting, you know, putting the effort and trying to, you know, learn by myself and try to improve. Uh, one day I remember I was sitting with a, with a coach and I asked him like, coach, why do you put me in a defender's team? Like, why do you put me as a, as a defender? Like, I don't have that defending experience. And he was like, oh, well, because I noticed that you have the ability to create a play from the back. And you're pretty good with the ball, so that's why I put you there. I was like, okay. I cannot complain. I cannot say anything. I was like, okay, interesting. So that's the position. I am. That's how I adopted the defender position, you can say. Because, like I said, by not growing up in a proper team, all the basic skills that you should have for different positions, I, I didn't have any of that knowledge because I was playing in the street. And, yeah, that's how I made the team. Uh, we went into the, into the qualifiers to classify into first division. We got second place. So, so we made it, basically. And we were the the first foreigners team to join the Taiwanese Premier League, it's called now, uh, which is the first div division. So in the next segment, we're going to be talking more about G's footballing career and life in general in Taiwan. So I, after doing some research, basically I found out that um, you were actually a top student. Was top student, you were second best in your grade overall in ninth and 12th grade and basically you got granted a scholarship to study in panama's best engineering university as well as a scholarship for distinguished students 
Um, so was football never really a career option for you, or was it just more of a sort of hobby thing? No, I never saw football as a as an actual career. Uh, just because, probably because I was never in a proper team, so I, you know, I didn't have that hype to become a, prof- a professional footballer. But yeah, it was not it was not an option for me. I would just played it because I liked it and because because I enjoyed it. That's it. It was never an option for me to go professionally because you know, especially I don't know in 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 Singapore or where you grew up with, like, but in my culture. Your parents will tell you like, oh, focus on studying, focus on studying. Like football is just to have fun, you know. That that's how it's in my culture. Now meeting people from other countries, now I see, now that I have more exposure to different cultures, I can see the difference in the way my people think and the way Europeans think, for example. Because actually, you you realize that professional footballers are not random players. Like they grew up to be footballers. Since they started kicking a ball, they have prepared their whole life to be footballers. In my cult, in my culture, it's not like that. I think you, I think you brought up a very interesting point with regards to how in Europe the culture is that they are brought up to be footballers. But I think it's a interesting debate in the sense that it's. I don't think it's necessarily true that if you didn't start at an extremely young age, that means you will be. How should I say? If you didn't start at a young age, you're not meant to be a professional footballer. But I understand what where you're going with that. Uh, but yeah. Um, so when you so you moved to Taipei in 2010. In 2011. 2011. Okay. So I I can imagine in comparison with Panama, that must have been a huge culture shock. So talk me through a little bit about that. How how did you Experience the language barrier difference and whatnot, and how did that really,、uh, I guess, affect your perspective as a whole from that whole experience? I think that in my personal experience, like you mentioned, it was a huge cultural shock because basically because it was the first time that I had to actually talk to other people with hand motions, with hand gestures. You know, it was literally the first time I had to do that. Like, oh, like you know, like one. This one of the other, you know, stuff like that. Because basically, when we arrived in Taiwan, I didn't know Chinese, even though I took like a two months Chinese course before arriving, arriving to kind of like know something. I just said I just knew how to say ni hao and xie xie. That's it. That's all I knew. But once we got there,、uh, we had friends, scholarship students as well that went the year before that could already, you know. Say say stuff. So they were the ones basically, you can say, helping us out. Whenever we wanted to order something, we just tell them and they translate. So that's how it worked in the beginning. And also, the first year I think it was crucial for me as well because I arrived in August, end of August in Taiwan, and then I started the semester, the Chinese trimester, basically. In mid September or something like that, and by being in that Mandarin school, like I got to see different cultures, I got to meet different people from different countries, different languages, different religious beliefs. Like a whole, like my world basically expanded because by being by one person staying in their own country, you think that everything that happens in your country, that's that's what it is. That that's it. There's nothing more. More, but when you start traveling and when you start meeting people from other from other parts of the world, like you're, you start looking at the world from here to here. Like you start seeing everything from a high, you can say from a higher ground, but you realize like wow, the, there's so much going on in the world. It's just it's just not what happens in my country that's everything. Like suddenly your your little bubble bursts. And then you kind of wake up and realize all these things, and that was the case for me. And yeah, it just that my like for me, Taiwan is my second home, and I learned so much from that from that country. So that that's that was my basically my experience in Taiwan, in a few words. 
eye-opening, you can say. Wow, that sounds... I mean, I, 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 I never really went through that sort of huge change in culture, so I can't say the same with how, how amazing that must have felt, I guess, to have a completely new perspective and everything being so foreign to you and whatnot. Um, so let's run it back a little bit to uh, your playing career, I guess. You said that you only started playing uh, for a university team two or three years after living there? So basically when I arrived in Taiwan, my first year since it was studying Mandarin, I had a lot of free time. Once I did all my homeworks and all that, I had a lot of free time. And I started going with some Latino friends that I met in the Mandarin training center to this, we found like this random, you know, kickabouts every day. So we were going there to play basically. But one, after that year passed and I moved to university, I moved, I moved to a different city and I didn't know people there. It was basically pretty local. And that's when I joined the university team right away to kind of like play, you know, keep moving. Uh, I played in the in the university team the four years I was in that university, and in between, it's after two three years being in Taiwan is that I joined the first expat team, the Royal Celts, and then I did the tryouts for Royal Blues. And that's how I ended up in, in first division in Taiwan. And then I also, and then I switched from Royal Celts to uh, Carnegie's B52, which was my last club in in, in Taiwan. So I was so, basically at two different levels in Taiwan. I was playing in first division, and you can, and I was playing in. It was called OTPL, which can be considered like the like Yogi League level. Division two, the division that we play with Maccabi. Right. Can be considered that level. So just to just to clarify things, Royal Celts and Royal Blues are affiliate teams? They start kind of. Kind of because the the Royal Celts coaches uh, are the were the same coaches for the blues. So basically the team okay. was called Celts. And the other team was Royal Blues. And then since right. he had, there was this kind of like relationship going on, then they switched Royal Celts and Royal Blues. Okay. Let's say that they were kind of affiliated, but not really. So the, did they... Basically, all the players were different. So did they both play in the same league or... Oh, no, 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 no. So imagine... Okay. To break it down, you have in Taiwan you have the the Taiwan Premier League, which is the first division. You have yep. the BML, the business businessman league, which is considered second division, and then you okay. third the third division would be like Yaoyi League Division Two here, like kind of that level. Now Royal Kilts used to play for or play for OTPL for the third division, and Royal Blues were playing first in the BML in second division. But then they won BML, they made the team, did the tryouts, created a new team or added new players, which is when I joined that the team. And then we qualified for first division. And then Royal Blue started, passed from second division to first division. Okay, I, I think I get a better understanding of the picture now. Um, so, talk, so you played in... Taiwan, the Taiwan Premier Division. So, talk to me a little bit more about the experience being in a much more professional environment to what you're used to in comparison with when back in Panama, per se, you played a lot of street ball, you weren't really in a, I guess you could say, established environment. How was it like to be uh, in a much more professional environment? For me, for me, it was, it was very cool because before each game, like, you know, I never, I never really had that experience, you know, before each game, you are in the corridor, and then you go in, you know, and pass through the ball with the referees and line up on the pitch. And, you know, I never had that experience until I got to that to that level in in Taiwan, and it was it was really cool. It was really cool, even though the Taiwanese league is not the most professional one. There is still a lot to improve, and I believe that the government still needs to needs to support more. It has improved, but it's, it's still very far from from the level required. But I mean, I cannot complain. I was playing with in the you can say the 
the highest, the best level in the country. And it was it was an interesting experience because we were the only foreigner team playing against local teams. And then you, this playing style is very different. It's very, very, very different. And I believe in Taiwan, or the impression that I have of Taiwanese football is that they are very, very, how can you say that? Very, they follow, like they follow a guide, they follow a pattern. If, for example, they learn to play ABC. Only the, that ABC order changes to BAC, then they will be like, oh, they don't know what to do, you know? So I guess you could say they play a very structured format and whatnot. They don't, they don't really have, they don't incorporate creativity into it and football IQ. Exactly. Whereas, you know, international foreign players, they have that, they have that creativity, that spark to, to kind of like adapt to different circumstances in the, during the play, during the game that I noticed these Taiwanese players don't really have. So... During your time in Royal Blues, uh, basically, if I remember correctly, you guys in the first season that you went up to the first the Premier Division, you guys were struggling with relegation, if I'm not mistaken. Not not uh, the first season. The first season, yes. The first season, yes, because we got a lot of players that like that we were playing together for the for the first time. You can say we had only a couple of training sessions. So we didn't really know how each other played. We didn't know how the other teams played either. We didn't know how the things were were moving, how the things worked in this division. So at the beginning we did struggle. On the second on the second year we did a lot better. So so you were saying that with regards to I guess the level of talent on that team that you played with, it's not really an issue. It was more so team chemistry, style of play, not not being too certain about the level of competition and whatnot in the division, which contributed these all these factors contributed to I guess a very lackluster first season, you would say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I believe that we lacked in more team chemistry. I believe we lacked that because the talent we had it. For sure, but we we lack that chemistry. We lack a proper, also like a proper gameplay, a, like a like a like a strategy. You know, mm. we had two coaches. The coach that took us basically through the qualifiers and got us into first division. Yeah, his name is Matt Ward. He's a, a British guy. He really really nice coach like training sessions with him were very very nice always different he kept you involved it was really really nice so the team you know he kept the team spirit everyone was excited to come to trainings to see what we were going to do the next day and so it was good whereas the other coach we didn't really like him i think like he has all his certifications and all that Mm -hmm. Um, but i i feel like he lacked that contact with players you know like that he didn't really know how to get his message through mm. so i believe we were we were lacking in that part like we didn't really have a, a game strategy it's defined and that plus the lack of team chemistry i believe these two are somehow related and that affected us that affected us i believe that if we kept with matt we would have been. We would have done a lot better. We would have done a lot better. And Matt, Matt left the, the team basically because he got an offer in Philippines to coach, mm. to be second coach or assistant coach or something like that to a first division team in Philippines. So that was a good opportunity for him. That's why he left us. So you're saying that you brought up two very contrasting coaches, I would say. One being more accumul. I guess more in favor for the players and whatnot and set the right culture and was able to motivate these players in the right way. Do you think that in football that's a very important thing to have or do you think it is necessary to have, I guess, a sort of style of coach where um, they bring a little bit more seriousness towards the game and whatnot? Do you think it's important to have that sort of fun culture in order to create, uh, I guess you can say, a winning culture? I would say, okay, 
to clarify, I would say that um, since from the two coaches that I mentioned, Matt was like that. You can say he was the head coach. The other one was more like like the managing coach, meaning mm -hmm. he would take care of of getting the pitches when we would train and these kind of things. He was also kind of like involved, but but on the background. The head coach you can say you can say was like Matt. But I do believe that a coach has to they have to be balanced. Like you they have to be strict enough so to so that the players respect and pay attention to what he's saying or what he's trying to accomplish with the team. But he also needs to understand that uh, you know, you crack a joke or two, you know, during the training session to keep, you know, to keep it relaxed and keep the players, you know, kind of like a more dynamic environment. Because mm. not everything can be complete seriousness. I, I get that. Yeah, so with regards to your coach, Matt, um, I guess, do you think his sort of style of coaching really helped with the, in spite of the fact that you guys were going through a relegation battle and really struggling on the field? Do you think that helped you guys and motivate you guys to continue to push forward and, you know, fight every game in order to survive in the league? No, I, I don't think so. Because by when we were in relegation, by the time we... We joined first division. Matt was gone. Like ah, uh, okay. Pre qualifiers and during the qualifiers. After that, he he took the job in Philippines and he and he left. Okay, understood. So basically, the the you can say the strive to get through the to get away from relegation positions was from the players and and everyone was just working a little bit harder. Yeah, being in a relegation battle situation can can be quite mentally taxing and it can lead to a lot of toxic team culture and whatnot because I've personally been a part of that before. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't want to you don't want to throw away all the all the effort you put to get to that division to that level. That's true. That's really true. Um yeah, so there's one more thing that I found out when you when I was doing research a is it true that you were representing Panama in Taiwan in 2014 and 2015? Well, I was... I mean, it depends how you look at it, because the way I would say I was represent, representing my country uh, was that, I don't know, you probably heard about the Copa America, this big American tournament, right? So we, well, not we, a group of my friends had the idea of, hey, why don't we make a football tournament where we bring all the Latinos together, basically, all the Latinos living in Taiwan, because there, there were many. So you can literally create teams from Nicaragua, from Panama, Paraguay, Honduras, Belize, El Salvador, from everywhere from Latin America. And they decided to, to make it happen, and one, two or three of them took the lead, and they started like looking for pitches and trying to organize the whole thing, and that's how we started. How we started like the Copa America Taiwan. Mm. We started in 2014, and that's how you can say I kind of like rep represented my country. So each each country had had their own teams, and you know we we made our own you know like our own T-shirts, our own kits and stuff, and it was it was really nice because it actually. It grew. It went from being only a football tournament to kind of like an event that all the Latinos were looking forward to every year. And oh, we, wow. incorporated, we incorporated that, like, started selling food during the tournaments, started selling food from different countries. And eventually, we got the support from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And we got support from the university that had that, that, that really nice pitch. So we got that sponsorship. We got a sponsorship from different embassies of the different countries. Uh, even the, some TV channels were coming to, you know, to make a, a little a short film about the, the whole tournament and all that, get some feedback, some comments about the, the players and about the, the attendees and all that. So it was, it's still going. This year, they, or last year, they, they had it as well. The original people that organized or that started the whole thing, they already left Taiwan. Only one is, is left there. And 
now some other people started taking the lead to organize that to keep just to keep the event the event going which is actually really nice so that's how you can say i basically represented my country in that tournament for like two or three times that's actually really cool that it's still going on right now it was nice and it created like a very healthy rivalry between countries uh -huh. in france so it was it was really nice and actually, Panama, we, we actually we actually won the very first Copa America. Oh wow! Yeah, we won one zero against Paraguay in the final. Did you score? I didn't score that one. I I took a shot. He hit the post. <laughs> but I did score a volley though in the tournament, which took us took us to the to the final. Yeah, it was really nice. It's good good memories. So, I remember I remember you told us this story when. I think it was after a game and do you remember that pitch that was really far away from like what usually we go to King's Park to play matches right and there was this there was this I think it, I'm not sure if it was the last game of the season but I think it was that we we had the game and then we took the Uber together to go to Tim Sachoy I think to go grab dinner afterwards and basically you mentioned uh, doing commercials yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 I remember that now. Yes, yes, talk, yes. Talk, yeah, talk to me through a little bit about your experience doing that. Well, basically, the way I got involved in all, in all those in commercials and stuff was basically because I wanted to get some extra cash. And in Taiwan, it's I would say it's quite popular uh, to just go into a, you know, a model agency. They get your information, they take a few pictures and stuff. And they write down what what you're good at, like if you have any particular particular talents or skills or, or anything. And whenever they get cases where they need someone with those kind of skills, they will drop you an email or they will call you like telling you, hey, we have this opportunity, uh, the commercial is for this company, you will be the role is this and the pay is this. Are you interested? Yes or no. And it also depends on the proactiveness of, of your agent. I happen to have a, a, an agent that was very proactive with me. He was always sharing leads with me and all that. And that's basically how I got involved in all this, you know, those, you know, commercial making and stuff. But by that time I was doing it, I was kind of illegal because I was a student. <laughs> it was good cash, though. It was really good cash. So that's how I, I got involved in this commercial stuff. I ended up doing like four or five commercials, I think. Something like that. I did a commercial for BenQ, which was the football, the football commercial that I showed you. That one I did for Giant, the bicycles. I did for the tourist Bureau of Tourism of Taiwan. A few shots, and for Acer, uh, the computer company. Those those are ones. The ones that pop. Ah, I also did another one for like a for like a gym equipment or something. Yeah, it it was good. It was nice, nice experience. So in this last segment, we're going to be talking about G's career and you know life after moving to Hong Kong in 2018. So stay tuned. So I guess around was it 2016 when it was the first time that you played for Maccabi or 2017? Uh, it was because you graduated around that time, right? By the end of 20, 2016. Okay. I think or early January, around that period, late December, early January. Because I remember during 2017 was kind of your first time playing for Maccabi during that three-month span. I think you played about three, four games maybe? I don't remember, to be honest. I don't remember. But I do know that I joined Maccabi end of, end of December 2016, starting January 17. Because I came to Hong Kong for the first time on December of 2016. And I, I remember I met Ruben like a week after that and then uh, I met Ruben in a football in a futsal game and that's how that's how we met and then he invited me like 
to join the team. He asked me, hey, do you have a team here in Hong Kong? Would you be interested in joining Maccabi? I was like, well, I, did. I was literally fresh off the plane in Hong Kong. So I was like, yeah, why not? So he told me, he said like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the coach and, and see if, you can, if I can get you playing with us. I was like, all right. And then like the following day, Tim contacted me like, hey, can I have your passport or copy and all that? And that's how I joined Maccabi. And then I was playing with Maccabi like the following Sunday right away. Oh, wow. So it was kind of like a coincidence that you arrived in Hong Kong and then you just met Ruben and then right right there and then you just, you just joined the club. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I met Ruben is because in Taiwan, one of my friends, uh, one of my friend's sister lives in Hong Kong and she's, mar- she's married to a British guy. So I met him in Taiwan, one of the times that they came, we spent a year or something together in, in their house. And that's how I met him. And then when I came to Hong Kong, he is the one that invited me for the futsal game. And that's how I met Ah, okay. That's how I met Ruben. Oh, that's a huge coincidence. Yeah, and kind of, you know, took off from there. So basically, that was kind of like the precursor to your Maccabi career, I would say. Yeah, exactly. So basically, the 2018-19 season was your first official season with the club? Most likely, yes. So tell me, how was the experience for you from your perspective? Because, you know, obviously, I think I've talked about the 2018-19 like, season a lot from my perspective. And yeah, so talk me through how... How did you think the club did and whatnot? For me, first of all, for me, it was very, it was very nice to be back in Hong Kong because, like, the first time that I joined the team, I was only here in Hong Kong for three months. So I got to meet all these guys, you know, uh, Cowley, Fiscom, uh, Ruben, uh, and all, you know, the the Omri, you know, all the, the old school guys and the ones that already left. So that was like the core Maccabi that I played with. I left Hong Kong, went back to Taiwan for a year, but I kept in the group and I was always, you know, chatting. I kept in touch with the guys and everything because like Maccabi is like part of my family here in Hong Kong, part of my journey. So I kept in touch and I was always with him like, hey, I'm coming back. When I got the, the, the news that I was being relocated to Hong Kong, I just told him, hey, I'm coming back to Hong Kong. I'll, I'll be joining next season. It was okay, awesome. So... By the time I moved to Hong Kong, I already had a team, basically. So I joined right away, and it, for me, it felt really nice because, like, getting to play again with, with these guys that that accepted me into their te- in their team, like, in such a nice way, the, the three months that I played for them before, a year, a year before. And I don't know, I, I, feel, I feel really good. I got to meet, I got to meet, the new guys, like for example, Ophir. I remember my first game, uh, my first game with Maccabi after I moved to Hong Kong. I think it was the last game of the season, of this of the 17, 18 season or something like that. Like literally the last game. And I remember that's where I met Ophir. But in that game, I remember I got injured. I did wrong. I, I remember I I did a wrong movement. And my knee was kind of like sore, Ooh. and I don't know. I would, like I was out for 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 a few weeks, and, and then once the official season started, um, the season the eighteen nineteen, um, it was, from my eyes, I would say it was a season of, in, what's the proper word? Unstability, I would say, meaning that. We didn't have a like a proper starting eleven. We were always on and off with players. Like we would have four or five players that will always show up that you know they will be there. But then the rest were like we're not really committed or we're out of the country or had issues or something. But we never actually managed throughout the whole season to keep a steady starting eleven. So I think that's the, one of the things that actually affected us, affected us a lot. So, 
So in your opinion, do you think that if we had a solid starting eleven that was consistent week in, week out, do you think we could have fight like fought for promotion or even won the title perhaps? Yeah, of course. Hundred percent. Because we had the quality. We just didn't have that consistency every week of the players. That's quite true, yeah. Same is happening this season. Okay, uh, talk to me a little bit more about it, about this season, actually, because I have I have been kind of following with how you guys were doing. I remember at one point you guys were extremely close to the top, and all of a sudden you guys went on a lot of lose a, a a losing streak. I guess you could say. Yeah, exactly. I I have no idea why. To be honest, I have no idea. What, no idea why. I, I'm not there every weekend now. Now I play one week. Yes, you know on. A- one would know because I'm playing for another team as well on Saturdays um, but so that's why I haven't been in some of the games but yeah we, we just got into this losing streak out of nowhere I don't know why but one thing is very clear is that whenever we have to pay whenever we have to play a, a tough opponent or someone that we know is a good team like we show up in fight Whereas when we play against the shitty teams, let's not call them shitty. Let's call them the the bottom the bottom of the of the table teams. We for some reason we we never played good enough. Sounds the same as last season. It's like a Maccabi curse. That, that's how it is. It's like a Maccabi curse. Even last yeah, that was a big problem that we had last season. We couldn't win, especially in the first half of the season. We couldn't beat the weaker teams. Exactly. But the, but we sure put a fight for the top for the top of the of the table, you know. I, I don't know why. I I literally don't know why. Yeah. So. Ba- so basically, at the end of the eighteen nineteen season, you won goal of the season. Uh, I think it was your volley, if I'm not mistaken, against uh, Green Cyprus. I, I was not there, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like the the one where you scored the volley from the corner. So it was the corner against Green Cypress. It, it got headed out and you volleyed it. Yeah, that was a nice goal. I remember I had two, two nominated goals, but I don't know which one won. Yeah, it should be the volley. That one was really nice. But yeah, actually, that's a, a fun fact. The first, those three, those you know, those three months that I played for Maccabi on the first time, I I, sc- I I scored, and I was nominated for goal of the season as well for that goal. Mm-hmm. I remember that goal. Oh, it was a beauty. I think it's one of one of the best goals I scored. I remember we were like, the ball was with Richie on the on the left wing, and then Richie kind of like ran all the way up. He passed it to the to Adam. You didn't meet Adam, I think. Adam was a captain before. He played in the middle, and in that game, Tim put me in the mid to play in the middle center mid with with Adam. So mm-hmm. Richie got the ball to to Adam. Adam passed it to me outside the box, mm-hmm. and I I just took a, a scre- I just shot a screamer, bro, and it just went. Like, it was like a rocket directly to the goal, man. Ah, that was one of the ah one of my best goals ever, and I got nominated for goal of the season for for that goal. I got second second place on on the on the vote. Yeah, mm. and then my next season is this goal, the one that the the one. So you're always bound to win the award, huh? <laughs> it's like that meme, you know. Like I don't always score, but when I do, I'm nominated for goal of the season. <laughs> well, I mean, you do score some nice goals, that's for sure. Yeah, sometimes every once in a while they come out, which I'm just lucky. I I remember during the season we had a conversation where we always wondered why you never wanted to play center mid, even though your skill set was really suitable to play as a center mid. And during the season, you were actually put into center mid towards the end of, to like, I guess towards the middle of the second half of the season. And honestly, I think you really were a positive contributor towards the team's success. So why, how, how do you think that transition went for you from playing from a right back or a left back to a center mid? For me, it was completely different. Completely different because... You know, like before growing up, I was always playing kind of like winger, striker kind of position. But then I joined Royal Blues and that's where I adapted. And I kind of like took or considered myself or started considering myself as a defender. 
Um, whenever, when team told me like, oh, you're going to play center mid, I was like, wait, what? Like, I don't have, I have zero experience playing center mid. And at the beginning, I was like, okay, I'll try it. But to this day, I still feel lost in that position. I know where I'm kind of supposed to be, but still, I, I feel lost. I feel like I, I'm all over the place. So I'm, I'm not really used to that position yet. And you're not the, the only one that tells me that that I, I could be a, a good center mid. I think I think ev I think everyone says that. <laughs> I, I just don't. I'm not. I don't feel comfortable in that position. Like if that's where I'm needed, I'll play there. But I I don't feel comfortable there. I prefer being on the wings, fullback or or winger. Hmm. Yeah. So so obviously you prefer to be on the side more the t most of the time. So you would say your most preferred position would be right back or left back or yeah, one of those two. Okay. Yeah, um, as a defender, I noticed that you, you get to touch the ball more. And I right. also, I also like overlapping. I would like, I would say like my style of play is more like, like Marcelo from Real Madrid. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of like my style. Marcelo, it's, it's more like more attacking attacking than me, but but I think I'm also quite attacker, quite attacking. So yeah, that's that's who I would use to to compare myself to, like kind of like Marcelo style. Well, I mean, I can imagine since with all that street football and whatnot, you were more of an attacking player. So when you moved to become a defender, it was kind of like a natural sort of thing that you'd be more. Uh, technically gifted more so than you know being used to being a defender where you just sit back and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and also people told me that that's by playing on the street like I have, and by playing futsal like I, I I'm good with the ball, so I have kind of like that like you know good control of the ball and mm. these kind of things. But but yeah. All right. Uh, I guess now we're gonna go into some quick fire questions. I'm gonna ask you some questions, and then first thing that comes to your mind, you answer them. All right. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. So the first question: Your most favorite team that you've played for? Blues. Yeah, Royal Blues. I'm. I'm pretty sure you already answered this question, but favorite goal you have ever scored? Describe it. Was it? Uh, the screamer. The screamer. I'll send you a video later. I it's very similar to a goal that Slatan did. It's very similar. I'll, I'll send you a video later. Okay, maybe maybe you know what? Maybe I'll just include that clip in in right here. Harry Sanjuman this time trying to attack down the left hand side. Headed clear and strike from Ibrahimovic. Oh, what a goal! A first half hat trick. You won't see a better goal than that. All right. Um. Next question. Biggest inspiration for football. Oh wow. Like a, like as a uh, football player, hmm. I would say Maldini. Well, not really. As a defender, Maldini. But mm. uh, who I admire since I was a kid, two players, Ronaldinho and Zidane. Those are my favorite mm. players. Um, if you had to pick one position to play for the rest of your career, where would you play it? Fullback. Okay. Yes. Uh, best advice you have been given as a player? Best advice. I would say, I would say, believe in yourself. I would say, believe in yourself. Yes, because uh, when I joined the team, the, the Blues, and I told you I was new in the defender in the defending position. I, you know, you always have this kind of like mental fight with yourself. Like, am I good enough? Am I doing this? Or you might get nervous. Your nerves would get on the way, you know. But the coach were just like, dude, just. Play how you how you like to play because you're good in the ball. It's, it's gonna be fine. So yeah, I would say that believe in yourself. Yeah, that's good advice. I remember during the mid-season party, you gave me that advice. You, I remember, I remember we had this conversation during the mid-season party where you told me you you told me that you expected me to be the top goal scorer for the club by the end of the season. It was kind of like pushing you. It was like you have the right mindset. You have the skills and you have the right mindset. Yeah, I mean. It worked. Appreciate it, man. Worst advice you were given as a player? No, I really, I really don't know. I really don't know because I, I don't really remember getting many advice, like you know, many advices. Not because, I mean, maybe it will sound cocky or something. I, I don't know, but 
I would say I didn't have many advices just because they were not given. Uh, so I can't really think about a worse advice right now. Your best experience in football? My best experience? Um, I would say learning from my teammates. Learning from my teammates. In which team, perhaps? In all of them. In all of them, there is always new to learn. For ex I give you examples. Um, from the Blues, the knowledge that my fellow defenders shared with me, how they, they actually really helped me to be the defender I am today. And from Maccabi, I would say, as an example, Ophir. Like, you know, you know how his gameplay. If, yeah. I, if I would define his, his style with one word, I would say warrior. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect description. So that's something I, I every time I play with him, like, I, I admire him for that. Like, he, he just has this thing that he doesn't give up. He keeps fighting. He's, he can be tired or anything. But he, you know, 100%, you have no doubt that he's going to give his best. Yeah, so there's always always something to learn from someone in, in, in the team. Uh, next question. Special talent or hobby no one knows about? Or you don't really talk too much about? Special hobby that I don't talk too much about. Uh, I used to I used to play drums quite often. Oh, really? Before, yeah. I haven't played in a while then. Um, best aspect of your game? Best, sorry, best aspect? Yeah, like your best attribute. Like what, what's your best skill? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm. I would say I'm pretty good with the ball, ball control. That works. One aspect of your game that you would want to improve on? My aerial game, my headers. Yeah, I don't think I'm that good. I don't think I'm good in you know. Um. What would you tell your younger self now with the experience you have right now? What is the f one advice you would give to your younger self? Football related or overall? Uh, can be football related. Maybe both. Yeah. Why not? Okay, so football related, I would say practice. This. Practice more. And overall is travel. Go to different countries. Because like I was explaining before, until you travel, you're still living in your own little bubble. So yeah, that's what I would I would tell myself. Well, you definitely traveled to a lot of places. <laughs> now, yeah, now, now, yes, no, I like it. Best advice you would give to upcoming players? Train. Keep training. Keep okay. training and stay. Keep training and stay humble. That's it. Um. Yeah, I think that wraps up what we have today um thank you very much all for watching or listening uh if you like it please like comment subscribe and share it with your friends anyone who might be interested in this and yeah uh anything else you want to want to add before we wrap this up g yeah just thank you thank you for considering me as one of your first guests i really appreciate that and you know i'm here to support you all the time so you can count on me whenever you need me appreciate it g well um yeah so thank you very much everyone uh i'll see you in the next episode peace peace